Welcome to Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here? Whether literally or figuratively in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere in between paths to success. This week's guest is co-founder and VP of Marketing at The Convoy and author of the best-selling marketing and business communication books, The Content-Fueled Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas, and more recently, Prove It, Exactly How Modern Marketers Earn Trust. She's an international keynote speaker, skilled virtual presenter, and recognized as one of the world's leader, world-leading experts in native advertising and branded content. She was the first editor of branded content at the New York Times, where she wrote native ads and won Best Advertising Execution OMMA Awards. I got to say, that is one of the coolest things ever. Um, And she serves on the board of Native Advertising Institute and has judged countless industry awards, including Content Marketing Institute Awards, DigiDay Content Marketing Awards, and Native Ad Awards. Uh, She has been described as being extremely smart and kind, which absolutely unequivocally she is, with a level of expertise on brand storytelling that is really second to none. A UConn grad, a mom to one, welcome Melanie Dazell. Thank you for having me. That was quite the intro. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's all true. And as <laughs> something we don't do is, you know, give our street cred very much attention. So I am That's happy true. to share that with the rest of the world. But so thank you for being here. We are coming off the holidays. Um, I know you've had some ups and downs over the last little <laughs> while. So thank you for making time in your in your calendar and your day. Uh, I imagine you're super busy with the launch of the book and whatnot. I gave our our audience sort of the highlight reel. Tell us a little bit more about who you are. Yeah. So I am a journalist turned marketer turned speaker, I suppose, is probably the the zigzaggy uh, summary, if you will. Um, but I started in journalism. I always wanted to be a storyteller. I wanted to talk to people and learn new things. And I always joke that journalism gave me permission to be uh, inappropriately curious. Like I could just keep asking more and more questions and it was allowed. And I loved that. Um, I found that I had trouble finding a job. That was at a time when a lot of newsrooms were, they were downsizing, they were going digital. And so there just weren't as many jobs in the space. So I found my way into the marketing world and discovered that there was a lot of need for these kinds of skills in the marketing side of things, talking about how to find stories, how to make content compelling, um, you know, looking out for ethics in a world where, you know, we're just kind of balancing, you know, what is editorial, what is sponsored and how do we find those lines? So um, I, I made that leap at a really good time and was able to get in as the the first editor of brand content at the New York Times, as you mentioned, did some amazing, incredible work with our our advertisers there. We're really blessed to win awards for some of the things we did. And then, you know, after a couple of years of of similar roles at other media companies, I just realized that I wanted to reach more people and I didn't want to be limited by which brands were interested in in writing for, a per, you know, having content at a particular publisher. So uh, starting my own thing at that point just seemed like the natural next step so that I could focus on, you know, reaching more brands, on reaching smaller brands who probably never could have afforded the kind of partnerships that I was working on, um, and just really focusing on education, like sharing that information uh, with other marketers to, to help them feel like they're able to do their best work. It sounds like you should add excellent timing to your resume, quite frankly, because it sounds like <laughs> it, you, you've, you've made those jumps, at the, as you said, at the right time. So Absolutely. You know, for a zigzaggy path, it was pretty smooth, I'd say, with a lot of purpose. So before we get really into the weeds, which I absolutely want to do, I always ask my guests um, four questions to kick it off. So if you're keen to go, I will get going. Let's do it. What's the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? 
I told my mom that I wanted to work in an ice cream store because I thought I'd be able to sample all of the flavors. So I thought that that was, that seemed to me like the best possible job. I like that job. I would like that job now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who was the first big influencer you remember wanting or remember from, um, from early days? You know, I had a lot, I was really blessed to have a lot of awesome teachers uh, throughout my schooling that did a fantastic job of encouraging me. And um, my high school English teacher, my probably senior year English teacher was one of my biggest champions, advocates, uh, you know, kind of pushed me to do more than I thought I could, you know, pushed me to get into, you know, do AP English when I thought that maybe that wasn't something that was in my skill set. And so really grateful to her, to Miss Nagel for kind of pushing me uh, to, to reach higher from a writing standpoint. Is there a song or what song epitomizes your career path? So I don't know if it is necessarily a good summary of my career path, but I will say that when I've been in times of like self-doubt or experiencing imposter syndrome or just like nerves before maybe a big presentation or an interview or something, um, Beyonce's Who Run the World Girls is like my go-to pep talk song. So that always just makes me feel like I've got this. It's going to be okay. That is an excellent song that I, I love that. That is I, uh, maybe I should change my intro to that song. <laughs> and what are three words that describe you in your career? So, you know, we mentioned the sort of zigzaggy path. I think the three that I, that kind of come to mind would be adventure. I definitely feel like it's been an adventure, you know, all these different things I never could have predicted, uh, which brings me to openness. I, one of the trademarks of the way that I've tried to run my business and my career is being open to opportunities that I didn't think of myself. Um, You know, that sometimes the universe gives you what you need and being open to trying new and different things. And then the third one I think is creativity. I think I'm always focused on how can we create something new? How can we try something different? You know, what hasn't been done before? And that's really what drives me. So sort of an open creative adventure, I guess. Well, that's quite the path to take. Um, bringing you something new every day is is something that keeps us interested and invigorated. And and as you said, I loved what you said about being a journalist, being um, unfathomably curious is, uh, <laughs> is is a great way to be. And I suspect it continues to drive you, which, yeah, you know, you talked about these segues that you've made and, and purposeful changes. From that journey, how has that journey been for you? Like, has it been as planned as it sounds, has there been some opportunistic elements to it? What's it, what's your journey been like? You know, especially early on in my career, I think I was letting things come to me and it wasn't until later on that I sort of was pursuing them myself. So, um, my first job out of college was at the Huffington Post doing branded content. And that came because I had been working with a recruiter about a newsroom job, working in their newsroom. Uh, it didn't work out. They eliminated the position. But when something opened up on their content team, she very wisely said, you know, this might be a fit for you. So it was really her that kind of brought me there. I don't know that I ever would have gotten into branded content or sponsored content otherwise. Um, the New York Times, when they were creating their branded content team, they reached out to me because there weren't that many people who were running a content studio. And that's the work that I was doing uh, at HuffPost. So again, good timing. They reached out and I said, yes. Uh, my next role was very similar. You know, the uh, Time Incorporated uh, owned at that point 35 magazines in the U.S. and they wanted someone to oversee uh, the development of creative partnership programs across uh, the U.S. magazines. Again, they reached out to me. And it was really around that time that I realized, like, 
my career was happening to me, which was wonderful. I'm very blessed for, you know, the journey I had to that point. But that's when I was sort of wanting to take more control of it myself. And that's when I stepped out, started my own business. I started pursuing speaking and doing corporate workshops. Uh, that's when I started, you know, sort of planning to be writing books. So uh, I think early on, yeah, I was sort of, uh, I was sort of going along the wave. Like I was letting the waters carry me where, where the momentum was going. And then uh, it wasn't, wasn't until a few years in when I feel like I had the confidence and, and understanding of the landscape to, to kind of steer myself. I'm curious. So was there a defining moment, decision, action, something that took you from a very successful career and to have companies like the New York Times and Time Inc. reach out and say, hey, Melanie, we'd really like you to do this thing for us and new thing, right? So that's that's not taking over for something that's established, which comes with its own pressures and, and challenges, but to get something off the ground. I mean, that with companies like that, that is, that's impressive. That's like, I get that phone call and going, I'm sorry, did you call the right person? <laughs> right? Like you're kind of yeah. pinching yourself. So was there something that a pivotal moment, something significantly that impacted the trajectory to say, no, you know what? I want to carve my path. I want to, you know, as they say, take the path less trodden. Was there something that happened that, that spurred you on to do that? So I think it was probably a combination of, you know, sort of the stars aligning on a few different fronts. Um, I had gone through a period of a couple of years, you know, it, the brands we mentioned where I was doing really good work with really amazing, talented people. Um, again, we were blessed, you know, we were given awards for some of the work that we did. So I knew that I had the capability to do really good work um, and, and that I was proud of that work. But I hit a period of time where for reasons that are really more uh, old company, internal politics, you know, layoffs and, and sort of fear and, and self-preservation uh, of a lot of colleagues, where that kind of got lost. You know, people were so concerned, as they often are in media, about losing their jobs, being laid off, you know, being company being acquired or sold, um, that we lost that creative spark. And we weren't doing the kind of work that I know I wanted to be doing, the kind of work that I was proud of. And I was seeing other folks get to do that work in other places. And that, for me, was the moment where I thought, you know, I didn't really put myself here in this position. I, you know, I followed that, that current. Um, but if I want to get back to doing that work that I'm proud of, if I want to get back to, you know, making work that I'm excited to tell people about, you know, if I want to get out there and, and create things as opposed to just having meetings about creating things, um, I'm going to have to take the reins a little bit here. So I think it was sort of a, it was a slow burn, if you will, where I just hit a point where I'm like, man, I really miss creating good work. Um, I had a moment in late 2014 where um, my my father got very sick. Now, I, I want to preface the story by saying he's fine now. So we'll, you know, spoiler alert. Um, but at the time, he was very, very sick in the hospital, had a number of brain surgeries. And so I feel like that kind of thing, when you have a health scare for yourself or someone you care about, kind of makes you step back and evaluate things in, in sort of a, a more holistic way. And that was the moment where I realized, like, I left work for a few weeks to help take care of him. And I didn't miss a heck of a lot. And I didn't seem to be missed a heck of a lot. And that was the moment where I thought, I think I've become the bureaucracy of the work that I love instead of the work that I love. And so it was that was sort of the moment for me of if I can go away for a few weeks and, and nothing, you know, really changed, then I probably am not having an impact and maybe I need to be doing something else. Well, I doubt very much that you weren't missed. Um, I am very glad to hear that your dad is okay. And uh 
that's, it's interesting. So when sometimes when bad things happen and your dad being sick, obviously in multiple surgeries was very stressful and, and not a good thing. It gives us an opportunity to do that reflection, which we don't give ourselves often. We are so heads down in yeah. the day to day and ticking off the to-do list and making sure that things are getting done. And I'm sure again, you'd gotten to the point where as you said, I love the way you said it, you know, you wanted to be creative, not just go to meetings about being creative. And it's something that big organizations typically, I mean, I think it happens across the board, regardless of size, but typically when you get beyond the tactical level where you're actually doing the work as managers, senior managers, directors, you step away from that. And it's a pivotal moment to decide, no, I'm I need that creativity. I still need to be doing that stuff. It's one of the things I love about consulting. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've been on the vendor side. I've been on the buyer side. I've done consulting. It's, but the consulting is where I, it's, it's problem solving and it's thinking of new ways and it's not rinse and repeat because everybody is different. You know, yeah. it, it may be the same problem, but you cannot solve it the same way because the idiosyncrasies of an organization are so different. Um, it could be the exact same problem and what you did there isn't going to work here. So I, I hear you (laughs) on the, on the wanting to get back to that. Well, and I think it, it also, to me, like consulting or being independent freelancer, however it works out for you, for me, it gave me all the things I loved about being a manager. So I was still able to work with, you know, younger folks and kind of help mentor them and, and share my skills with others by doing workshops internal at companies. I was able to share my knowledge. You know, I was still getting, um, some of the wonderful things about leadership and, you know, being, um, you know, mentoring and and all of that. Um, But I didn't have as much of the bureaucracy at, you know, to your point, it was an external company that I was getting the chance to work with. So someone else was worried about payroll and, you know, annual reviews and all of those things that were, you know, a little more um, work than impact for me. And I think it's kind of, there's, I think maybe there's like culturally a little bit of shame almost around not, striving for that, like not wanting to be, uh, you know, necessarily leading a hundred person team or, you know, have a, you know, there's a lot of folks who give me the advice to start an agency and turn my consultancy into an agency. Um, but I really value being close to the work and I would rather do small work that I'm proud of than mediocre work at scale, I guess. Um, and so I, I think it's important to acknowledge the limits of like, that's not necessarily where I can be of the most value in being, you know, uh, the head of a, of a massive marketing department. And actually this is where I can bring the most value in this, this, you know, air quotes, smaller way. That is something. So if I can ask, how old were you when you realized that, you know what, I don't need to be CEO. Of a big I, I, think, I think that was a, that was a, uh, I guess I was probably like 25 or so. Yeah. So you are enlightened. Um, 100% because it is one of those things that I still see um, and we work with, you know, organizations around the world and teams from, they seem to be getting younger and younger, I'm getting <laughs> older and older, where you can see the drive. You can see the person who is perhaps more like you and I, who it's about the work and it's about the creativity and it's coming up with something cool and new and not so yeah. fussed about whether their title is manager or director or senior director. And then you know the ones, you walk into the room and you have one conversation and you can pretty well pick out the ones who are climbing the corporate ladder. Nothing wrong with that. All good. If that's what you aspire to be, you need that C-suite, you know, that C in front of your your letters. Um, <laughs> go for it. 100%. But 
it takes a lot of time sometimes to to really figure that 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 is not the the only pinnacle. There are many pinnacles to climb towards. Um, so yeah. you know to realize that at twenty five is wow <laughs> impressive. You well, beat me to that. It. <laughs> that that was right around the time that my dad got sick. So like I said, I was doing a lot of sort of soul searching and um, asking the big questions and reflecting on life and impact and legacy and you know all those things that you do when you're facing you know the more potential mortality of of someone that you care about. And so uh, that was in its own way a gift to have that time to reflect on all of that and realize that this is not working for me the way that it is now. And I need to try something different, at least try. So what's your current role like? What are the the compromises? Like what what gets you up in the morning? <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're asking this question at a really interesting time. So for the last year, I have been, um, I co-founded a startup with my husband in, in late 2021, um, something that had been his dream for a very, very long time, um, a business that's really focused on helping small businesses. So for the last, you know, year or so, I've been really focused on that work, on creating marketing content and, and messaging and branding for this business that I knew would help a lot of small businesses. And that was so rewarding for me to feel like, first, I had complete freedom to be able to do this uh, in the way that I thought was best, which is, as a creative, is wonderful, right? You know, I was I was the one making a lot of those big decisions. Um, but it also felt really good to be the good guy, which... I don't, there's something about that. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I know that there have been a lot of times in my career in marketing where I have worked with brands that I don't necessarily share values with, um, brands that maybe their impact on the world is not the impact that I would like to have, or is maybe the opposite of that impact. Um, and so it felt really good to know that I was working on something that I believed in, you know, that I wanted to make a difference for small businesses, that I wanted to reach them, that I wanted to be of service. Um, so that, that really drives me. Uh, now that I've shifted my attention, you know, they've gotten funding and that company is growing and it's wonderful. Um, I've been able to shift attention back to sort of my own business, uh, which is really the the speaking and the consulting and, and doing workshops. And honestly, what drives me so much is knowledge sharing. Um, I feel really, really blessed to have gotten to have the education that I did that got me to where I am. I was a, a scholarship recipient on on multiple fronts, and that's really the reason that I was able to go to school like I did and, and get the degrees I did and, and progress how I have. So I feel this sense of duty of like, I have this information. I know that these you know, this information, these processes, these tactics can be helpful for marketers, particularly those who may be struggling with the amount of resources they have. And so it, it feels like a sense of purpose to say, I need to do what I can to help people and share the things that I've been privileged enough to, to learn and, and, you know, acquire through experience. I want to, I want to pass that on and, and hopefully make a difference for those folks. You speak at a a lot of different conferences, primarily in the, obviously in the marketing space and whatnot. Are you engaging with higher ed or more local level in that, I guess, more philanthropic, giving your time teaching what could be um, from a marketing and career perspective? Because one of the things I found, and, you know, we've both been to content marketing world and content tech and, and a lot of the other ones. And I still find when they talk about careers and paths forward, they're still pretty linear. Like we're still talking about that old fashioned, you know, stepping up through the ladder and whatnot. And certainly organizations have changed over the years and from matrixes and flat and, and whatnot. Are you, are you getting down in the dirt, so to speak, in those early days? And what are you hearing? Like what's, 
what's the trend? What are the what are the young people asking about envisioning? <laughs> Yeah, so I've been really lucky that um, quite a few professors from universities across the country are using the content field framework as part of their curriculum when they're teaching sponsored content or, or just content marketing in general. Um, and I generally, if a, if a professor is using my book, I try to make an appearance whichever semester they're teaching or, or both um, just to talk to the class, to answer questions. Um, so yeah, I'm lucky that I get that insight into into the, the youth, uh, as it were. Every semester I, I get to talk to at least one class, usually several um, what I really love about, you know, these, I don't want to call them kids because they certainly don't feel like kids when you're, when you're in the seat, but, um, about the students is that there is such a sense of optimism and of openness and like an entrepreneurial spirit. I think it's really interesting that these, the Gen Z folks who are kind of like, you know, nearing graduation or have recently graduated, they grew up in a world that was full of solopreneurs and freelancers and influencers and creators and all these folks who managed to kind of make a name for themselves by themselves, not just through a legacy media or legacy brand. So I think it's really interesting that while we may not be necessarily teaching about all these different options that exist from a career standpoint, I think they're thinking bigger. They're not dreaming of being a junior, uh, a junior sales manager at an agency and then, you know, a senior and and then a VP and then a director. Like they're dreaming of how can I start this brand, you know, about something I'm passionate about and and use it for good. Or, um, you know, they're already many of them, which is shocking to me. I meet so many kids at the college level who they already have a clothing line or they already are influencers and they're working with brands that they care about, you know, and that to me is, is really awesome because I feel like they're breaking the mold a little bit, whether they know it or not, they're not sort of backed into a corner of maybe the typical hierarchy that a lot of us were taught at that point in life. That's really good to hear. And it sounds rather than breaking the mold, there is no mold. They're they're trying things out. I know my son who's 18 um, last year decided he was going to spin up a little online business. Like, go for it. I love that. It's, it's what I do. So, you know, if you want some help, let me know. He's like, no, mom, I got this. And now it didn't, it didn't come to fruition the way he had envisioned. And I partially, partially of that was I let him do his thing, right? So you want to figure it out? You go and figure out. And what he found out was, you know, all of these, not going to call these them kids, these young entrepreneurs, these young inventors, these, these young enthusiasts have put the work into it. They've done the homework. They understand. They've tried. They've tested. They've tried. They've tested. It, it, it very rarely is it first shot out. They've actually done the work to figure it out. And it's great that they have the platforms to do that now. I mean, it really, it takes nothing. It costs Joshua, I think in total, probably like a hundred bucks between registering a URL, setting up a Wix site, um, getting connected, buying a bit of product and and doing that kind of things. But it was a great exercise. And I, I love that for them. Like I, I, I'm jealous to be honest. I'm a little jealous if I'm being real because, you know, at the time, and, and again, this speaks to the transition I mentioned when I graduated, you know, I had been given an amazing journalism education, but I was learning how to lay out a physical page of a newspaper. And I graduated into a world that was, you know, digital and social and video and interactive. And that's not what I was taught. Right. So I feel like I, I was just in between. I missed that. Right. The education hadn't quite caught up. And I feel like 
the um, the opportunity that these kids have, like the the way this stuff is so thoroughly democratized. I mean, even at the time when I was graduating, if I wanted to start an e-commerce brand, I would have had to learn how to code and build that website from scratch. Like we had WordPress, but it's not the WordPress we had today. We didn't have Squarespace. We didn't have Shopify. Like we didn't have Stripe and all these other amazing tools that make this stuff possible. And there was no drop shipping. Like if you wanted to sell t-shirts, you had to buy a bunch of t-shirts and sew the logos on yourself. Like, so I'm, I'm so impressed. And I feel like it's, so cool to see all the things that they're coming up with now that they have these tools at their disposable, that they are so accessible for folks who are lucky enough to have, you know, a computer and internet access and a smartphone. Like there's, there's not much you can't do. Um, and I think that's amazing. It really is unlimited. There, there is no, there's nothing stopping them. And when you look at companies like um, Adobe who give their creative software to education, right? So anybody in a high school university has access to all of that, the Photoshop and, and all of, all of hashtag, all of the things to do and be creative, <laughs> um, and coding. I mean, I learned how to, I taught myself how to code and yeah. I, you, you know, now you can learn it in an afternoon. It's crazy. Yeah. And with a lot of CMSs, you don't need to learn how to code. Right. And it's like, you we know? have these no code, these no code tools out there. You can build a website, drag and drop with something like Squarespace or Wix, your designs, you're hopping into Canva for free and creating these amazing graphics. You know, you've got, now you've got chat GPT to write all your copy. Like there's, I mean, there's just so many amazing tools and shortcuts out there that I'm, I'm excited to continue to see what, you know, these, these younger entrepreneurs are cooking up. Absolutely. I think chat, chat GBT and, and some of the AI, other AI tools out there are uh, coming for us <laughs> in a big, bad way. Um, but, you know, this has been fantastic and I don't want to keep you any longer um, than I had committed to. So a couple of last questions. If you weren't in the marketing space, what would you be doing? You know, this is a good question. And I think my answer changes regularly, but it would be doing something with my hands. Um, one of the things that I grew up really loving is I came from a family that was very like blue collar and had a lot of really tangible skills. So, you know, carpentry and plumbing and, and auto mechanics. And I love, love the feeling of making something with your hands and being able to look at a physical thing and say like, I made that, I put that together. I fixed that. I, you know, revived it, whatever the case may be. So I don't know exactly what it would be. I would probably like be one of those people that flips Facebook marketplace furniture or something, you know, like <laughs> so something where I could be, feel like a craftsman uh, with my hands and, and kind of making something physical, I think would be nice in comparison to all this abstract stuff we do. I got to admit, I have my eye on a jigsaw right now. I mean, we, we have a pretty bit, we just bought a house, um, uh, early last year and I have a garage for the first time and man, it takes a lot of self-restraint not to just buy all of the tools. Yes. And I will tell you as a longtime homeowner, homeowner, that does not change. It does not change <laughs> that we are at the point where, you know, we've got a two car garage and, and it's all good. And I'm like, oh, kids are out. It's like, maybe I'll build a shed in the back and that can be my workshop. And my husband's yeah. like, well, what do you think about moving into the city? It's like, well, not right now because then I don't have a garage or a workshop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, but I think the other thing is we talked about like the democratizing of the content, the amount of DIY videos that end up in my feed convincing me without a shadow of a doubt that I could build built-in bookshelves in my house and I could design my own furniture. I mean, I'm sure 
it would be a disaster for the first couple attempts, but um, they make it look so easy, you know? So um, uh, that maybe that's my toxic trait is thinking that I could successfully do any, uh, you know, home improvement DIY that I see online. <laughs> I have faith in you. I think you actually probably could do it. So for our listeners, particularly the women in our audience, what would be your best piece of advice on life, career, success, happiness, anything you'd like to share? I don't know uh, if this will resonate with everyone, but one thing that I have found really helpful, I, I certainly struggled with a lot of imposter syndrome, particularly given how young I was and some of the roles that I had. I was never sure. I always felt like I was going to be found out. Like, you know, who gave me all this power? Who gave me all this budget? You know, someone, someone's going to take it all away when they realize, you know? Um, and one thing that really helped me as silly as this sounds is I identified a really confident male that was in my work environment. And I would ask myself, what would that person do? How would that person think about this opportunity to kind of remind myself of the way that so many people move through this world and, and particularly men so confident in themselves, so sure that they belong in the room that they're in. Uh, and it may Maybe it's a little bit of acting, but kind of reminding myself like, well, if so-and-so got this opportunity, they'd walk in proud and they'd be bragging and they'd, you know, they'd be able to walk in with full confidence. So um, if you're, if your personality is not one um, to naturally feel that way, then sometimes having that alter ego of a colleague that's sort of in the back of your mind and thinking, how would they handle that? Um, kind of is, is a nice way, for, at least for me to kind of snap myself out of it and say, no, you know what? I'm going to go in confident. I'm going to own this. I'm going to ask for more, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, your 25 year old self was saying, you know, what guy do I associate, like, who, who would I, like, I don't want to be the jerk, right? I don't want to be the asshole right, manager, right. like, oppressive, whatever. But who is somebody that I respect that's senior, et cetera? And now the wonderful thing is, is you'd have more opportunity to emulate a woman, right? We are, there is, it's, yeah. it's not as good as it needs to be, but it's getting there. It really, it really is. And, you know, it hasn't been quite that long since that time. And, the amount of, of amazing women that I've been able to meet now, um, that, that could have been that for me if I had known them around the time, you know? Um, I think that's another thing that's so amazing for this next generation of entrepreneurs is I see so many more women sort of nominating themselves, you know, for whether it's starting a business or, or pitching themselves, you know, to, to VCs or whatever the case may be. Um, that's really inspiring to me because I didn't have many of those examples um, when I was coming up. And I would have loved to have that. And the few women that I did meet in these like predominantly male spaces. Um, I did sort of take to them and, and uh, do my best to get that FaceTime and kind of understand and learn from them. And, and again, really blessed that so many, whether it was teachers or, or other leaders kind of took me under their wing. Very appreciative of that. So this has been fantastic. Uh, every conversation I have, I learn something and something that reminds me that yes, I need to to be more like that or keep that in mind. So thank you for sharing. Where can our audience find you? Any speaking engagements coming up? I know your book was released, which is super exciting. Congratulations. Second book yeah. um, in the fall. So what's next for you? Yeah. So um, very lucky. I've got a bunch of speaking gigs coming up in the next couple of months. So you'll see me out and about. I'm going to spend, I got a couple of things out in California for my, my West Coast folks. Um, and I'll be out in Chicago in May. I'm going to be in 
Istanbul and uh, Amsterdam in in May as well. So lots of lots of fun adventures coming up. Um, but the best place to, to find me for almost anything is my website, storyfuel.co. So last name is Diesel. We keep the fuel metaphor going. So it's storyfuel.co. Um, and that's where you could find information about, you know, the books, how to work with me, where I'm going to be speaking next and, and all my social links so you can connect with me wherever you like to hang out. Well, thank you so much, uh, Melanie, for today's conversation. It has been enjoyable and enlightening and uh, energizing. So I'm glad you're feeling better and that the house <laughs> has all recovered yeah. and that you're settled into the new home. To my audience, thank you for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Melanie and hearing about how letting things happen as well as pursuing your path and finding that balance will really get you to where you want to be. If you're keen to hear more amazing stories from amazing women, you can head over to unchartedjourneys.net and listen to some of the other episodes. You can also sign up for our email list and check out the links and the resources in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey. Here we go.